You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Right. Good morning. It's good to be here with you guys. I just got some direction. If I can have all the uh, next kids, kingdom kids, teachers, uh, they're going to have their orientation right now. So if you guys want to start making your way out to the cafeteria right now, uh, that would be awesome. Wow, there's a lot of you guys. <laughs> they're all from the back. Well, guys, it's good to be here. Um, wow, did you guys, anybody watch the game last night? Dodger fans, yes? Yes? I see some jerseys. Um, it's great. It's an exciting time to be a, a sports fan in L.A. Uh, I'm excited that we're going back-to-back to the World Series. Uh, I always talk to my friends. Um, sports is a funny thing because... Sports like basketball, the better team usually ends up going to the finals, right? And sports like baseball, even though that's the same thing, it's hard to make it because, like, you have to be playing right at just the right time to make it. Like, you guys ever hear about the Yankees? The New York Yankees have had the biggest payroll in sports for I don't know how long, and they still, and they have all the best players, but they still can't make it to the World Series. So I think it's so cool that the Dodgers can be there. Um, <laughs> And the Los Angeles Rams. Who's excited about them? 6-0. and Going for 7-0 and today. So I'm excited. I wish I could say the same about the Lakers. But, uh, you know, they're 0-2. They're a late bloomer, but we have LeBron James. So I feel very, uh, very positive about them. So we'll see what happens. Um, we'll just want to start off here. So we're, we've been having our sermon series in the book of Acts. And uh, it's been about spirit-filled people. And uh, basically, uh, it's just kind of how God has been using the disciples and uh, through the Holy Spirit. And he's been able to have the disciples do great things because the disciples were following and listening to the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so uh, Brian Craig started us off in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and he just kind of kicked us off about that. Dustin Peckman a couple weeks ago did Acts chapter 3 to 5, and he talked about the controversial message, how the message is the same, but how it hits certain people differently. Um, and I, I just love this series. I just feel like it's, God is just using ordinary people like you and I, but he's making a big difference and using them to make a big impact for God. Um, and so today we're going to go ahead and pick right back up. Uh, just even in this, in this sermon series, I love it because we met together with all the brothers, me, uh, Steve Marici, Brian Craig, Dustin. Um, and uh, even Mark Steberg, we, we got together and we wanted to do a series in the book of Acts and talk about the Holy Spirit, amen? And actually the main character in the, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, is the Holy Spirit. You know, there's all these little characters in the Bible, but the, really the main character is the Holy Spirit. And even how we did this sermon series, I, f- I feel like it, it was really led by the Spirit. And what do I mean? Because we didn't really have like, like, you do this, you do that. Steve does this. It was kind of more of Brian Craig kicked us off, and each person kind of got to go how far they wanted to go. Does that make sense? So they can do Acts 1 through 3. So Brian did Acts 1 and 2. Dustin did 3 to 5. And so today I'm going to pick up in 6 and 7, and I'm going to leave the next part for Steve Marici next week. But we're going to be talking about Stephen. And so my hope for you today is that you guys can see Stephen's conviction, and you guys can see the way he lived his life, the way he was so faithful and was so bold, and I hope that it motivates you 
to do great things for God. Amen? So let's go ahead and uh, say a quick prayer, and then we're going to go ahead and start reading our passage. Uh, God, thank you for this time. God, thank you so much to be able to worship uh, with our South Bay Church. Thank you for just uh, all the preparations that people have been doing to get ready for uh, the service, the people that have been helping with the sound, the tech, uh, the ushers, the first impressions. God, there's just so much that goes into a, uh, putting together a service, and I'm just so grateful for all the disciples, all the brothers and sisters that get up so early every Sunday and, and just do this for us and serve us in this way. Uh, God, thank you for all the, the brothers and sisters here. God, I'm just so grateful for every single one and just the relationships that we have. Thank you for your Bible that, you know, thousands of years later, God, that is still relevant to this day. Uh, thank you how your scriptures never change. Thank you for uh, uh, giving us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Uh, and thank you for letting us uh, uh, do powerful things with it. Uh, God, I pray that you really be with this Bible study, God. I pray that you just be with our hearts as we open up the Bible and uh, we look through the book of Acts and we learn about Stephen. Um, God, I pray that uh, if we have any distractions, um, you know, even including myself, God, that we could just uh, put them to the side and uh, really just be present here in the moment as we look at your word. God, thank you for all that you do. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's go ahead and uh, if you guys can turn your Bibles with me uh, to Acts chapter 6. And we're going to kick it off here in verse 1. And the title of my sermon today is Stephen, a man of full of faith and spirit. So beginning in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, we're going to go ahead and read some background information. I kind of want to give some context of what, kind of what's been going on with the early church. Uh, it says, the choosing of the seven. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hellenistic, excuse me, against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parnamis, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert in Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so just kind of give you guys some context um, from this chapter here. You know, it opens up with some problems. You know, the church, the early church had some problems, just like any other church, amen? Uh, and we're just all just imperfect people trying to serve a perfect God, amen? And so in, in that time, there was a cultural problem. There was a cultural problem between the Hellenistic Jews, or the Hellenistic widows, and the Hebraic Jews. And really all that is is there's uh, uh, disciples in, in, the, in, in Israel, and then there's disciples that came from the Greek countries. And there was a problem because they felt like the widows that were from the Greek countries weren't getting fair treatment. They weren't getting served uh, food uh, like the, the widows that were from uh, the, the Hebraic Jews. And so there was this big problem. There was a cultural problem. And the apostles were so busy. They were busy preaching the word, teaching, training up. And so they had a meeting, and, and they just said, you know what? Uh, uh, we see this problem, and we're going to go ahead, and we're going to ask you guys, the church, thousands of members, to go ahead and pick seven among you that have 
uh, uh, that are, you know, capable men that have high character. Uh, and they asked specifically with people that have, were full of spirit and, and that had wisdom. And so one of those people were Stephen. And it says in verse 8, if you guys look, that Stephen was a man of full of grace and power, and he performed great wonders and signs. And when I think about people like this, the first people that come to mind, I think about are the apostles. Why? Because the apostles walked with Jesus, right, in his ministry. They saw Jesus do great things, from healing the sick to uh, uh, casting out demons, feeding 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and fish. Um, and they saw Jesus walk on water. And so the apostles were with Jesus. And in fact, the apostles kind of had the same power and authority given by Jesus. So they were able to do the same things, right? So that's who I think of initially when I think about all these great things. But guess what? Stephen, he wasn't an apostle, but he was able to do this as well. Stephen was not an apostle, but he performed great signs and wonders. Uh, the same power that was granted to the apostles, Stephen had. And Stephen wasn't a prophet, but he was a great preacher. You know, so Stephen, I feel like, didn't need a title to be able to serve. He saw the need. He, had, he was somebody with high character. The, the church picked him, and he was there to fill in the blanks. Amen? And I just feel like Man, when you just think about a real job, and there's a job with like tens of thousands, I mean thousands of applicants, and only seven got chosen, what does that say about the position? That says like, man, it's a highly coveted position, or it's a position with a lot of responsibility. And that's what Stephen was chosen to be. And so we're going to go ahead and keep reading here um, about what happened. But Stephen basically comes in line, and he wants to come and be able to serve all the widows. So my first point today, I have two points for you, uh, is to be confident in God's story. Be confident in God's story. So I don't know where you are. Oh, excuse me, can you guys hear me? So I don't know where you are today in your confidence level, but we want to be at this 100 maximum confidence level in God's story, amen? So wherever we're at today, you know, I, I pray that today that you can just focus on the study, whether you're a 10, you're a 0, you're a 30. You know, my hope for you tonight is today is to kind of raise it all up, okay? So let's go ahead and read our first point, be confident in God's story. We're going to go ahead and turn to verse 8. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders. Didn't we just read this? No, we did not. Okay. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue, uh, uh, the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And like anything, you know, when I, when I think of Stephen, I, I think about Jesus. Wasn't Jesus preaching the truth? Wasn't Jesus going out and being uh, 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 confident in God's story? And he got opposition by the Pharisees. You know, it says that in verse 9. That people opposed him. You know, why do you think people started opposing Stephen? You know, when I think about it, you know, back in those days, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the time, you know, they had high power positions. You know, they had a lot of authority, and they had a lot of influence. And I think they got fearful. You know, I preached about this a few months ago when we talked about Nicodemus, but the Pharisees were threatened by their position. Here comes Jesus, and he's 
flipping the whole world upside down, right? And that's the same thing that's going on here with Stephen. Stephen is just preaching the word. He's telling the truth. And the Pharisees don't like it. So the members of the Sanhedrin are threatened, and they don't like it. And so the answer is because at the end of the day, Stephen was confident in God's story. He knew who he was serving. He knew who he was representing. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah. And that's who Stephen was defending, and that's why he was so confident. So let's continue to keep reading here in our Bible study, and we're going to learn some more. In verse 11, it says, They secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They steeped Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say this, that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was that of an angel. So Stephen was being accused by two things, right? First thing, he was being accused that, that Jesus would come and destroy the temple. Number two, he was accused that he was trying to change the custom of Moses. And both were not true. But I think the Pharisees were, again, threatened by their, just their religiosity. I think they were threatened by somebody who preached the truth. And I think they knew they couldn't win an argument. You know, you guys ever meet somebody that's just so confident, whether that's in debate or someone that's just like, oh, my gosh, he just knows what he's talking about? Once or twice, right? There's a lot of sportscasters like that. Uh, they're just so confident, so just knowing the, the information, all the stats. And it's like, you can't argue against this guy. Um, and so they felt like they were going to lose. So they had to bribe people on the side to say false things about Stephen just to trap him. And we're going to talk more about that. But, you know, I kept doing some research and kept doing some reading. And if you guys look at verse 15, it says, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin look intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was the face of an angel. Why do you guys think that? Why do you think that it was written that it looked like Stephen had the face of an angel? I know for me, when I was a young Christian, when I think of an angel, I, think, I used to think that they were just this calm, serene uh, kind of face. And they're just kind of very holy, right? I've watched a lot of cartoons. So this is what I envisioned, okay? Very sparkly, uh, with the halo, always white and gold. And this is kind of what I envisioned. So when I read this passage when I was a younger Christian, I used to think, like, why would they say that Stephen looked like this? It wouldn't make any sense. So I did some more digging. I did some more digging during the study. And, um, and I found out when the scriptures speak of angels, they describe a beings of great might, frightening to behold. In Luke chapter 1, it says, Zechariah was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel told him, don't be afraid, for your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're going to name him John. Another, another part, in Luke chapter 2, the three shepherds were terrified when the angel came to him. But he says, you know what? I'm bringing you good news about Jesus. And in chapter, Luke chapter 1, even Mary, mother of Jesus, needed to be assured by the angel Gabriel to not be afraid. You know, in all these examples, the presence of angels communicates something monumental is going to happen. It, it's one of the commentaries that I studied. It says that their appearance and their words cause fear and unease because angels correct, angels instruct, and angels reveal God. You know, Stephen preached powerfully be before the Sanhedrin. 
He called people to repent from their hard-heartedness. His words like angels caused unrest. You guys can see why the Sanhedrin probably said that, right? It felt that way. So Stephen was here to, again, just preach the word. He, he, he was coming here to instruct the people and to reveal God. So let's continue on. That's just a bonus information. I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool. We're going to go ahead and continue our story here in chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, verse 1 through 3, it says, Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and sisters, excuse me, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So guys, we just don't have the time today, unfortunately, to go through these passages. But if you guys can pick up from verse 40 to 50, he talks about a lot of things. And I'll touch on some of them for you. So he kind of gives this huge history lesson. Huge history lesson. It's Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin. And I'm going to just talk about a few, but I want you guys to go back and study this out in your Bible study. Okay, so he's kind of talking about Israel's history. And, you know, he, he kind of starts from with Abraham and how Abraham, God chose Abraham, and God's mercy started with him out of all the earth to inherit the promised land, right? And so God gave Abraham patience. I mean, God had patience for Abraham, and he gave him the extra push to go to the promised land, uh, but he kind of settled halfway in Haran. But he was patient with Abraham. And so the point of this history lesson here, guys, is that Stephen talks about all the high points of Israel's history. So we're going to both see Israel's rebellion, and we're also going to see God's mercy. Amen? So you're going to see how that goes hand in hand. Then Abraham, you know, in his old age, he, with Sarah, he had Isaac, all right? And we're not going to spend too much time on him. Then he had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. And the 12, one of the 12 sons was Joseph. Joseph was ultimately sold by his brothers. You guys remember that? I preached about this a few months ago. Um, his siblings, I mean, I don't, I don't, know, yeah, I don't know if they're really his siblings, <laughs> but they were jealous of him. And they sold him to Egypt. So here's another instance where they were resisting the will of God. Because God was speaking through Joseph. But in spite of that, God rescued and protected Joseph. And what happened? He ultimately became second in command, right? He kind of became the governor of all of Egypt, only behind Pharaoh. Right? So you see the clash here. Moses. God chose Moses. Right? He raised him up as a deliverer of the oppressed people in Egypt. But when Moses makes his first appearance to the Egyptians, right, to the people there, excuse me, they rejected him. They're like, we don't, we don't want to listen to you. And so Moses flies away, or he, he goes away to the land of Midian, and 40 years later, he comes back, and he, God kind of stays patient with Moses, and God's patience and mercy moved Moses to go back to Egypt and save the Israelites, you know, and took him through the Red Sea. You guys remember that? And, and eventually just ultimately saved them from Egypt. But it, it just keeps getting worse. I mean, God's mercy and patience, it keeps getting test, tested. Then the, the Israelites that were saved decided to worship golden staff statues, right? After being oppressed for so many years, they're finally freed. God has been patient. And again, they reject Moses, who God used to save them. And, and it goes on and on, guys. I mean, I don't have time to go. I would love to kind of sit here. I wish this was the actual sermon today. But... <laughs> There's just so much rich stuff in here, so much deep stuff. And you can just see how it worked through Joseph, through Saul, through David, through Solomon, 
And eventually it went to Jesus. You know, Jesus was sent to come down to rescue us. Uh, we're, you know, we're oppressed with our sin. And what did they do to Jesus? They killed Jesus. They crucified him. So every, at every junction, at every point of history, you know, we've fallen short of God's grace. I'm sorry, we've fallen short of God's, uh, yeah, God's grace. We've all, always fallen short. We've sinned. But God has been merciful. He's been patient. You know, but when I think about all this, why, what's the point of me saying all this? I can't believe that Stephen was able to recount all these scriptures to the Sanhedrin. You know, guys, there are 50 scriptures about it. And he was like, boom, 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 boom. He was able to just recount it with so much confidence. How can that be? How can that? Because he knew the scriptures. He knew. He could have shrunk back, but instead he drew deep in his understanding of the scriptures and his understanding of God in the Bible. Stephen was able to defend his faith because he was confident in God's story. So I want to ask you, are you confident in the word of God? Do you have the scriptures planted in your hearts? What do I mean by that? Do I mean you have to memorize the scripture word for word? No, I don't mean that. You know, it'd be great if you can. But do you know the big story? And do you know how you fit in? Do you know this story? Do you know how it came from Adam to the great patriarchs, from Israel, from uh, 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 Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to, to, uh, to Joseph? Do you guys know that story and how it goes all the way through to Jesus? You know, and I think it's, it's just very easy to get stuck. You know, and I want to show this, this little illustration here. So how many of you here, of here likes to work out? Not too many, right? <laughs> Who knows the knowledge of working out? Probably more hands. There you go. Well, if you know, it's very hard to get started. But they say when you work out, you see the biggest growth is usually in the beginning, right? Because you're not used to working out. You know, we're going to have Rico come up later. But Rico is a bodybuilder. He knows all about it. And... Muscle grows really fast in the beginning, right? But eventually, if you keep doing the same exercises and you keep doing the same routines, you keep working out the same muscle group, eventually you're going to hit a plateau and you won't be able to push through. A lot of athletes do it. They hit this wall and they're like, man, I can't, I can't finish. I can't, I can't grow. And so what you have to do is you have to, in order to avoid the plateau, you have to kind of shock your body. You kind of have to do something different, right, Rico? You have to do something different. So if you're bench pressing the same way, you got to add on more weight. you got to probably do a different workout that's going to hit the same muscle group. And so I say this because, you know, some of us have been Christians for so long that we plateau spiritually. You know, we settle for the scripture of the day or the quote of the day on our Bible app. That's my quiet time today. You know what, I'm going to say a quick, quick scripture prayer really quick, and that's my, 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 my teaching for the day. And, you know, all those things are good. I'm not saying those are bad things, because I still do that. Sometimes I open up my Bible app, and I'm like, wow, that passage really spoke to me. But if that's all we're relying on, we're not going to grow. You know, if we want to grow, and you want to grow closer to God, we're going to have to dig deeper. Amen? So I want to ask you, when was the last time you sat down and used your concordance with the Bible? When was the last time you read different commentaries, you know, to get more information about the history, about the culture, about the times in those days? You know, do you, do, you, do you guys do different things than just, you know, I remember when I was a younger Christian, and I say this to myself, guys, as well. You know, I remember I used to just, I don't know what to read today. I didn't have a plan, so I just opened up the Bible. This is what God's telling me to read. You know, and once in a while, I guess that's fun and all, and that's great, but that's not going to help you get to the deeper teaching. Amen? Right. So I have an application for you. 
and this is just a quiz to yourself. You don't have to answer this out loud. But do you know the stories Stephen mentioned in the book of Acts in chapter 7, 1 through 50? That history bar that I gave you, would you be able to recite that without having to look back at Scripture? Would you be able to know the main picture, the main focus of each of those, those story arcs? And if you don't, that's great. And if you do, you know, there's more things you can continue to do. What's the next level of growth for you to become more confident in God's story? You know, I, I just like to think about it with Stephen. You know, back in those days, they didn't have as many Bibles as we do now. You know, we all have a phone, so we all have a Bible. You know, you guys remember when we had uh, Jesse and Mufit here? And they spoke to some of our leaders, and it was so impactful. Like, I really got emotional thinking about it. But everyone doesn't have Bibles. They had to, like, split up the book of the Bible. They got it to a country that was, the Bible was illegal at, and they broke up Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, and each people had different books. That's crazy. Because if I wanted to read the book of Mark, I can just open up my Bible app and read it. But the fact that these brothers and sisters have to go to that length shows me that we are very blessed here in South Bay. We're very blessed. And it's even more of an extreme cause back in, back in those days. You know, but they have to rely on memorizations. They have to learn how to keep talking about it. And so, and I just even think about this personally. You know, even without the Bible, we should be able to share our faith with somebody and, and, and be able to lead them at least to God, Right? And of course, I'm not saying don't use the Bible for a Bible study, but I'm saying we should know enough of the Bible. We should be confident. Amen? And so what does that mean for you? Maybe, you know, it's been tough spiritually for you. Maybe for you, it's like, you know, I just got to get back in the battle. I got to just start reading my Bible every day. All right? Maybe it's just something basic. You know, maybe it's just starting off slow. Maybe it's, you know what, I've been a disciple for many years, and I've never read through a whole Bible once. I've never done it. You know, there's so many different plans out there right now. You know, you can read a few chapters a day. I think Marlena read it uh, about a year ago, the whole Bible. And it's so cool that you can do that. And maybe it's learning more about the Old Testament and how it really connects to the New Testament and why we're here today, right? And I'm not going to speak a lot about it, but, you know, Paul talks a lot about it in Hebrews. You guys know about solid food and, and spiritual milk, milk and solid food, vice versa. You know, babies, when they grow up, they, they drink milk. But at a certain point, they're going to plateau. They're going to need more than milk, right? The mom's nipple, the mom's milk is not going to be enough anymore. They're going to need food or they're going to starve. And so some of us as young Christians, you know, or baby Christians, they say, you know, that's where we're at. And I think even the context of baby Christians, what does that mean? You know, a lot of people like to think that with the length of time. But it's not the length of time. It's really the spiritual maturity that you have, Amen. So you can be a baby Christian at one week, but maybe if you've matured fast enough, you're not really a baby Christian, right? And then some of us, we, we just need to be eating solid food. And just going back to what I talked about of growing in your confidence, growing in your research, growing in your Bible studies, amen? Point number two, you know, boldly proclaim the gospel. Boldly proclaim the gospel. So we're going to see how Stephen was not only confident, but with his confidence, he did something with it. So in Acts chapter 7, I'm just going to fast forward. So this is after he gives the history lesson. This is what he says. He says, you stiff-necked people. He's talking to the members of the Sanhedrin, by the way. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? 
They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but not have obeyed it. Yikes. Holy smokes, what did he say? He says, you stiff-necked people. What does that mean? Can you guys just envision a stiff neck? You guys ever get that? It's, 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 he's basically calling them, you're stubborn. You're stubborn. You're hard-hearted. You don't listen. You know, he was charged with speaking against Moses and the law and against God in the temple. But what does Stephen do? He turns the table around. He says, no, you guys are stiff necks. You guys are ones that are unyielding and stubborn towards God. Throughout history, it shows with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, with Joseph, with Moses, you rejected him. You even rejected Jesus, right? How do you think they, how do you think they reacted? Not too well. Verse 54, it says, When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, full of uh, the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At, they, at this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. It's a lot of stuff that happened there, huh? You know, when you really think about it, it wasn't a really a legitimate trial. When people, where people are able to kind of present their cases fairly. You know, when you have like a defendant and you're able to present your facts and kind of what happened. He didn't get that. In fact, it was, foundly, it was founded purely on false testimony. It was all based on lies. But even that didn't stop Stephen from boldly proclaiming the gospel. You know, even as I read this passage, it's, it's crazy to think that Stephen's boldness caused these members of the Sanhedrin, right, this prestigious Sanhedrin, to cover their ears, gnash their teeth, and yell at the top of their lungs. Who does that? Parents, who does that? <laughs> right? I mean, I was like, man, I was looking, I was reading about the Sanhedrin, I'm like, these are the members of the Sanhedrin? And they're like gnashing their teeth, covering their ears and yelling at the top of their voices? That's crazy. You know, Stephen's boldness ultimately led to his death. But I'm sure that he knew that his life was at stake. I'm sure he knew. You know, it was a fearful situation, and he could have easily pulled back and maybe come out of it alive, maybe. But he felt, he probably felt fearful. He probably felt ganged up on. I know I would be if I was in his shoes. You know, since we're talking about it, let's talk about fear for a second. All right, because fear can stop you from being bold, can, can it? Fear is a natural thing. It's a human emotion. We all experience it. And I think God gave us fear. You know, it's given to us so that we can protect ourselves from danger, right? But we all have fears, but, you know, let's talk about some most common fears that people have. All right? Who's scared, who's scared of spiders? Me too. I'm raising my hand. Two hands. Look, it's looking at you with its eyeballs. That's called a zebra spider. That's why it's black and white. But I hate spiders. Nerese, my wife, will ask me to kill the spider. I'm like, no, you do it, babe. Like... <laughs> I don't want to kill that thing. I ask her, how big is it? And she's like, it's like this big. I'm like, no, that's you. I got to get a biggest paper towel to go, you know, I'm a weenie when it comes to that thing, right? <laughs> I can do something else. 
But spiders, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't like spiders. That's a big phobia, right? But you know, people have used this to protect themselves. Most spiders actually aren't painful or venomous. Sp uh, snakes, the two S's that I hate. I hate spiders and I hate snakes. So I'm part of this as well. Snakes, it's another phobia. Claustrophobia, right, tight spaces. You know what's funny? When I was a kid, I wasn't really claustrophobic. And I'm not saying I'm claustrophobic now, but as, as I get older, I feel like I'm becoming that. I just need my space, right? If I'm in a small room, I'm like, man, I can't breathe. I kind of psych myself out. But I'm not claustrophobic. Fear of heights. Anybody fear of heights here? Fear of heights. Well, this guy is apparently not fear of heights. <laughs> this is actually a real thing. People actually go on top of, roof, they're called rooftoppers. They go up and they film themselves jumping over things or taking selfies at the highest point of buildings. It's nuts. And people have died because of this. I spared you guys, but there's videos of people dying and falling off stuff. <laughs> but yes, this guy's, I mean, look, if he coughed or sneezed or something, he, he'd be done. Right? I don't even know how he climbed up there. Fear of planes. Right? The good old turbulence. The shake. You know, but planes are actually one of the safest forms of transportation. Right? You have a higher chance of getting in a fatal car accident than a plane ride. And then obviously you guys know this one, the fear of public speaking. It's the number one thing at all the phobias. People would rather, yeah, would rather die or do all the other things I mentioned, go up on top of this thing and take a selfie than speak in public. And it's not just public speaking, it's public speaking, but it's also social in the social setting, you know, talking. But, you know, despite many types of fears, there's really only one way to overcome them, and it's boldness. You know, there's a quote here that says, there's no courage without fear. Boldness overcomes fear. So I love this, I love the scripture, I mean, not the scripture, this quote, because fear is a reactionary thing. You, you just kind of react to it and you become fearful. Boldness is a choice, right? In spite of fear, courage, right, or boldness is in the presence of fear, you're still going to choose to be bold. So it's really a decision. You know, I believe that Stephen was probably had some fear. I think he was a human being. I don't think he was like a Terminator or the super, super Christian. I'm sure he had some things like, oh, man, this is not looking good to me, good for me. I just saw, I heard about Jesus getting crucified the same way, and it's happening to me. But I think he made a conscious decision in the moment to be bold. You know, this passage here in John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus talks about this. He goes, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You know, I love this passage. It reminds me of Kevin Maines. You know, he used to say you have to make, he used to always say you got to make a death decision, right? You always got a choice, and are you making a death decision? It is stuck with me, which means that you should always be constantly dying to something, right, constantly. You know, Stephen made a death decision to be, go, be bold for God. And his death actually became the catalyst to actually spread the entire church. He was actually the very first Christian martyr. And because he was the very first Christian martyr, other disciples became fearful. And they're in trouble. They're like, man, we're going to get persecuted. We might get killed. So they left and went to the other places, the other, other places of the world, to, to Judea, to Samaria. And it actually fulfilled Jesus' prophecy. No one knew how the church was going to spread worldwide. No one knew. 
but it happened through Stephen's death. Stephen's death, his one death, caused all the disciples to scatter, spread the good news, and evangelize to the world. You know, there's a, there's a brother named Brian Atkins uh, in the Houston church. And uh, I don't know, about like 20 years ago, he was at uh, the University of Houston, and he was walking around, and he's been on his heart to share his faith with as many people as he could. And he picked the most, his, his goal was to pick the most intimidating looking people. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's the goal that he had for himself. He walked around, and tur- sure enough, he saw this, this guy walk. And it was this Asian, Asian guy with the tank top, and he had like a tattoo here, right? He looked super intimidating. So as he was walking, um, he passed this Asian guy, this gang member looking guy, and he let him pass by. And he's just like, man, I'm supposed to share my faith with him, but I don't want to. And he lets him walk, and he keeps letting him walk. And there's a lot of people in between. So as he's walking, something made him stop. He says, you know what? Before I go to the parking lot, before I go home, I need to, I don't know why, I just got to talk to that guy. So he turns around, and now he's trying to find that Asian guy that he was afraid to talk to. He eventually catches up, taps him on the shoulder, shares his faith with him. Turns out this guy was a Buddhist. He had no belief in God, but he was having such a hard time in life. And he was searching for something. He just didn't know what he was searching for. Um, eventually, well, this guy he, that he meets, he studies the Bible, and he becomes a disciple. Amen? This, this guy, this brother, his name is Tommy Tang. And uh, yes, he's a, an evangelist at the Houston Church. Uh, he's one of my closest friends. He was best, my best man for my wedding. And I just think about that story all the time. Um, it always inspires me when I share my faith. Because what if Brian Atkins never shared his faith with Tommy? On a whim, he almost didn't. But he, had to actually, he actually passed him up. And he stopped, thought about it. He's like, no, I've got to share my faith with him. Turned around and ran, ran after him and shared his faith. Tommy has been so influential in my life. Uh, the reason why I'm here today, even on stage, or still faithful, uh, he was my roommate, he was my best man for my wedding. But not just Tommy, there's so many different people in your lives that has been very impactful for you. Right? What if no one shared their faith with them? Right? And what if no one shared their faith with you? You know, we wouldn't be here. And I really think about that. That really helps me. So every time I'm sharing my faith with the brothers or I'm walking out, I'm like, yeah, but I shared my faith with 10 people already, but there's that one guy. Now I'm going to let him go. He doesn't look open. I try my best. I don't do it all the time, but I try my best to go to him and run to them because I feel like, what if he's the next Tommy Tank? Right? What if he's the next person? And Tommy's had great influence. He has helped hundreds of people become disciples. And, um, and I'm very grateful for him. So I think about that. But in order to do that, Brian Atkins had to make a death decision, right? He was fearful. He didn't like public speaking. He didn't like sharing his faith. I mean, it's not something that he was great at. So he had to die and be bold, amen? You know, and I know for me personally, it's hard to make the death decisions. I'll be honest. You know, my full-time job, you know, I'm a marketing manager for a software company, and all I do every week is visit clients and make sure they're good. If they need help, uh, we send people to go and train. And so I drive everywhere. I drive in, from downtown L.A. to San Diego to Bakersfield to Simi Valley. I'm there every week. So, you know, I drive all the freeways. You name it. The 405, the 91, the 210, the 605, um, everything. <laughs> so when I come home, I'm exhausted. 
I'm tired. Some days I have really long days. And I just want to sit back, um, turn on the Lakers, hopefully they win, <laughs> and just veg out, right? I just want to just not do anything sometimes. And sometimes things come up. You know, I got my wife's not at home, so I have to go home and, and pick up the groceries, right? You know, the wifey sends you on errands, right, to do. Um, or I get asked to be in a Bible study. Or I have to meet up with a brother, or I have to jump in a meeting, and I have to make death decisions. I was like, man, it really would be nice to just stay home right now <laughs> and just rest. But I know that it's producing something good in me, amen? I know that if I push through, it's going to produce something good in me. Um, so what's your death decision that you can make? What's something that you can do? What fear will you try to overcome to be more bold for God? You know, what's a death decision that you can do this week? And it could be anything. Maybe it's sharing your faith with that scary-looking neighbor next door. <laughs> or maybe it's, you know, you see the same cash uh, register lady at Trader Joe's. And you, you even know their name, and they know your name. Maybe it's that guy. You know, it could be anything. But in, like the scripture says that Jesus talked about, it only takes one seed to die. If one seed dies, look what it produces. Stephen's death produced so much, right? Dave Atkins' death to himself helped Tommy to become a disciple and in turn helped so many different people. It just takes one. You know, and I love that passage in, in the last part. You know, all the parts of the Bible, it says that um, when you think of Jesus, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, right? It always says that. But in this particular passage, it says that Stephen looks up and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And I've read a lot of different commentaries and a lot of different things. And it said that Jesus was actually standing and giving them a standing ovation. A standing ovation for what he did. It makes me emotional just thinking about it. But man, don't we all want to go out that way? Who wouldn't want to go out like that? You know, that you have died for your faith. You were bold. And Jesus says, my good and faithful servant. You know, Jesus says, to be fruitful, you have to die. A seed has to die to create more seeds. Again, it only takes one seed to die to make a difference. It only takes one person to make a death decision to have great impact. You know, brothers and sisters, let's be a church that's confident in God's story. We've got to have this confidence in, in our craft, which is the Bible. And we've got to continue to proclaim the good news of God like Stephen did. Amen? Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.